Panama today, folks. This is your host, Bill Wilbur, here in Gamboa. Music and inspiration on this program. Well, today I got mostly inspiration, very little music. I want to share with you a message I preached earlier at the Gamboa Union Church on the whole thing of setting priorities in our life in seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus gave a parable in Luke 12, Luke 12 called the rich fool. It starts at verse 13 and following, and I'm taking you into this message. I've already read the scripture, and now I'm giving this particular message. Panama Today is on the air. Man, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so he told this parable. A parable is a true to life situation. He does not really, at this point, have a particular farmer in mind who did this. He's telling a situation which is common to many people in that area. The ground of a, and he told this parable, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man the guy's already rich, right? The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. How many of you know that you can till the ground, plant the seed, but it's God who makes it grow, and the rain has to come at the right time? So really, although this guy was industrious, and that's a good point, ultimately the reason for his success and his wealth was God. I don't think he believed that because he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, there were alternatives, weren't there? He already had some places for some, but he's got too many, too many. And he could have given them away or done something like that. But then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I want to just show you something here for a moment. I never saw this before until I was meditating on this this morning. Verse 19, and I'll say to myself, He'll say it later, okay? He's not saying it right now, is it? Because his barns, the bigger barns aren't built, and he's not loaded up totally. So this is what he says, I'll say to myself. I mean, he's got this all planned out, the exact amount of his retirement check. I mean, he says, I'll have this much. Now, this is what he's going to do. He's got his plans. Take life easy. Eat drink and be merry. But God said to him, but God, how many of you know God has the last word in this deal? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? See, once he's gone, all the big bucks this guy has put away for himself Somebody else is going to get to manage. How many of you have heard of, read a story of, or even know some people who've inherited a great amount of money 
that wasn't, I mean, they didn't earn it, but they inherited a great amount of money. And because of a lack of ability how to manage it, or because of a lack of control of their own desires and wisdom, it filtered away. How many of you know, you know somebody like that? I had a person tell me not too long ago, in great disgust, that their spouse had inherited $65,000. And it had only been a very short period of time. And this person I was talking to said, and I haven't an idea and neither does my spouse where that money is. It's gone. We don't know where it went. It went a little here, a little there, this, this, kids want this, grandkids want this. It's gone. 65,000 bucks down the tube in like a year and a half or two years. Just gone. Totally frustrating to the other spouse because that one said, well, I could have invested it or we could have done this or this, this, you know. Just gone. The money was there. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> you're sitting there and saying, if I had $65,000, how many of you thought that when I started to say, I wish, if I had 65000 two honest people in the crowd. And the rest of you will think about it on the way home. I want to ask you another question. This isn't in the script. Let me ask you this. How many of you, as Christians, have ever thought, not in a selfish way, what you would do, but if you had a million bucks or more, whatever it be, how, how, have you, much have you, how many of you have ever thought exactly of what you would like to do with it for the Lord's work, for the Lord's work, for the Lord's work? You know, I asked Tom Fulgham that, the guy from the HOXO radio who spoke here this summer, and he'll be coming up from Ecuador from HCJB. He'll be coming back. And I asked him that. I said, Tom, have you ever done that? He says, oh, lots of times. <laughs> and of course, he was thinking he'd like to see most of it go to HOXO or HCJB or radio transmitters. But I have actually set during a quiet time in my mind, I should have been reading the Bible, but my mind went off like this. And I thought, if I had 100,000 or 200,000, what I'd start to, start to do this. And I said, give 10,000 this, 10,000 this. And not to make a show. I mean, not, not to make a big thing and walk into a radio station or some ministry and say, I have 10000 for you. But I started thinking, well, what to do with this? And, well, I don't have it. I don't have it. And uh, those of you who raised your hand probably don't have that either. <laughs> but it's a good sign in a way that you would begin thinking of how you could further the kingdom of God with that amount of money. But the point in saying this is really... We do think about doing things with money that we don't even have. And that, that can be good and bad. It depends on as, as you're thinking as you're doing it for eternal values. Verse 20 again. But God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You know that old saying, you can't take it with you. I've given you this little cartoon joke before that uh, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, you know. <laughs> Can't take it with you. Somebody said one time, and I'm just quoting somebody, 
He said, do you know how much money is enough? Everybody's sitting there, you don't know. Just a little bit more. And that's what, what this guy's problem was. I mean, he could have filled those barns and he would have needed just another one or a little bit bigger one, just a little bit bigger. But God, you fool, this night your soul has demanded you. You see, death is the equalizer of all people. Since I've been here in Panama and in the United States as well, I have buried a lot of people, more in the United States than I have here. And I've laid to rest some people with quite a bit of money. And I've also done a funeral or two where there wasn't even money for the coffin. As a church and so on, we bought the coffin. Just a little cheap $60 wooden thing that they hammered together over in Chilibri and put the guy in the ground. And you know, I've stood by those grave sites and I said, you know, this person had big bucks and this person had no bucks or little bucks. But right now, it doesn't matter a bit. Because right now, death is the equalizer of all people. But verse 21 says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Which, we get the first part of the thing in a hurry. Well, this is the way it was for the rich fool, uh, and, and this is the way it will be for other rich fools. But there's the other part of the verse, isn't it? It says, but is not rich toward God. Hey, it's possible to be rich toward God. Meditate on that. It's possible to be rich toward God. And that richness toward God, that richness toward God is determined by what God thinks is rich and not what we think is rich. Here on planet Earth, what does God consider the most valuable thing here on planet Earth. Anybody know? It's not the UN building. Somebody said us, a soul. Because the Bible said that God Almighty gave his very best for that soul. Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus on the cross. That's what God thinks is worth the most. And when we begin to get a perspective from God's standpoint of what is worth the most, then we begin to get what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. We start getting wisdom when we begin to look at it from God's standpoint. What does God see as valuable? What does God think is valuable? And what does God do about valuable things? And so the way I can be rich toward God is what is the way that I treat a soul? Do I treat it as a soul, as somebody who's in my way? There's a mentality that's crept up so much in the world, but much in the Western world and industrial-wise world. That we are to, really, we're supposed to 
love people and use things. But in the industrial world, we got it flipped around so that we love things and we use people. We've got it flipped around. We've suddenly lost God's perspective on it. We do not have wisdom. That person is not a wise person. Jesus began this parable by saying, beware of all kinds of greed. How many of you know what the first commandment is? Exodus 20, the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Now, I say this reverently. If it sounds a little flippant, it's I'm trying to communicate. God was not on an ego trip when he said that. God did not have an identity crisis and needed all kinds of props to keep him in position as creator of the world so that he didn't lose his identity and his self-image. But rather, God said that, among other reasons, to parallel with commandment number 10, which says, Thou shalt not covet. The King James and the New King James translation of this verse, when Jesus said, Beware of all greed, he's, that's where he says, uh, Do not covet. Beware of all types of covetousness. And that's basically wanting something that somebody else has and wanting it for yourself. Because that can lead to all kinds of family squ uh, squabbles. It can lead to world wars. I want this island. No, we want this island. Let us go to battle and kill a million people for this little piece of turf. And 50 years later, it wants its independence and we give it to it from either nation. I mean, this is the type of mentality. And millions of people die and suffer. But the first commandment is not because God's on an ego trip. He says, because you need it. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Because if you have any other god other than me, it can't save you. If you have any other god before me, it will end up an empty spot in your life. It will not satisfy. It will always say something more, someone more, something more. Or more of whatever. And the first commandment is set there to put all the others in perspective and keep us out of trouble. Thou shall have no other gods before me. Idol worship in the hearts of the Christians, wanting other things, things other than God. And that's what leads us into big, big trouble. Some of you have heard me say this before, and some of you have actually been up at camp, teen camp, when I've done this. But... Here's a little experiment to help you ask yourself and to evaluate yourself this morning. Do I love things more than God? Am I coveting things which ultimately will not satisfy? Am I building my life around them? And what we did at camp is we passed out five little pieces of paper. And we asked each one of the people there, and I would have done it this morning if we'd had more time and a little different type of cohesiveness here hand out these five pieces of paper and said, write down the five most important things in your life. And I give people several minutes to do that. And after, the, after those minutes, I say, now as in the book of Job, things came into the life of Job, which began to take things out of his life. 
And so it can happen very quickly here, just as in the book of Job, it happened then, it can happen here in this world with modern transportation and all other kinds of things which could blow us up in a hurry. And so here you are, and something comes into your life and takes one of those pieces of paper, what's written on that piece of paper out of your, out of your hand. And uh, it's always interesting. There are some people that kind of chatter nervously when we do this, and there's, there's others who are deep in thought. And they have a big problem because all five of those things are important to them in their life. And so after a few minutes, I say, just you got to take it and crumple it up and let it go to the floor. And that thing, after a moment, somebody will do it. And then some wise guy back there will say, well, there goes my parakeet, you know. And somebody will say, well, there goes my beer, you know. And, you know, they get all kinds of weird things going on. And the, the little humor, but there's a lot of seriousness. Then I say, well, you know, that was a hard choice. But something else comes into your life just like it did to Job, and you've got to crumple that piece of paper and let it go. What will it be? See, I'm telling you this, and you're not going through the dynamics of having to evaluate those five things in your life. I'm telling you how you can do it, though. And you see those five things, and you're, now you've got to get rid of, the, of a, a second one. And you take that, and you crumple that, and you let that go. Now you're down to the three most important things in your life. And I ask for a few minutes, anybody like to tell what they've gotten rid of? And there you get various things that go, well, there goes my education, you know, and this, there goes this, and there goes this. And uh, I said, well, we're not done yet. Something else comes into your life and takes number three. And so there's some more groaning and grumbling, and that thing's got to go. And then the same thing, now we're down to two. Which are the most valuable? Where are you going to hang on? You only hang on to one. Where are you going to take? And that goes. And then after this dead silence, I say, what are you left with holding in your hand? Some kids respond and some don't. And I said, if the thing that you have in your hand right now can be taken from you, you're in big trouble. And since I'm doing this with a, a, a group at a Christian camp, Many of the kids have God or the Lord or eternal life or my relationship with Jesus or something of that nature, which cannot, according to Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But after that's over, I said, now you say that thing is the most valuable thing in your life. They go, oh, yeah, it can't be taken from it. I said, so that means you should build your life around it. Yeah, yeah, that's the most important thing. I said, what you have done now, you have just established the priorities in your life in reverse order. So flip this whole thing around, and the thing that you just threw away is the second most important thing in your life, and on through. Now, I ask the question, which I asked that question to you this morning. If that thing, that last thing in your hand is the most important thing and the most valuable thing that cannot be taken from your life, percentage-wise, how much of your time is capitalized by this? How much of your finances, your talent, are given for this primary goal in your life, this thing that cannot be taken away? And that's a serious amount of thinking because suddenly we say, well, wait a minute, I, I spent all this amount on entertainment or all this on this or all this on that thing. And it can go just like that. Can go just like that. 
can go in a fire, can go in a bomb, it can be stolen, all kinds of things. Just like that. He said, you've got it placed in the right priority right now. What will you do with it? Jesus told this parable. I don't know what the reaction of the people totally was at that moment. Those of you who still got your Bible open, and if you don't, you should open it back up to Luke 12, because Jesus does not stop there. And he gives that passage of Scripture, which I'm merely going to read at this point, and then we'll close in prayer. The do not worry passage, it's also found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. But it's found here, and it's talking about birds of the air, sparrows. It's talking about flowers. It's talking about God's creation, which God believes is significant. But you are more significant. How many of you know you're worth more than a flower? Jesus didn't die for a flower. Okay? They're pretty. It's God's creation. But they're here today, gone tomorrow, and he's got another batch waiting, right? Brings them to bloom. Hate to see a bird die. But God's got lots more in the, uh, in the program. I mean, I mean, birds are easy to bring in. They, they, they come and they go. And the, and, and the word is that God knows every bird that falls. He knows every flower in the field. Do not worry. You know what worry is? Worry is fear in action. Fear that I won't have enough. That's what worry is. And Jesus says, therefore, in verse 22, therefore I tell you, because he knows everybody's going to say, gee, I've got to store up enough, you know, this and this and this and this. He says, therefore I tell you. I tell you, do not worry about your life. This is not a suggestion, right? What you will eat or what about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. Do you believe that? And that's one of the purposes of fasting is to help us realize that and put that into practice. And the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storehouse or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you, congregation in Gamboa, than these birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? The other translation, the King James translation, New King James translation says, a span or a cubit. In other words, there's it, a difficulty here in how to translate this, whether it's talking about length of time to your life or in stature, your height. But either way, the point is, will your worrying about your height make you grow? Will your worrying about your length of days make you live longer? Probably make you live less, wouldn't it? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, great king, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. That's heavy words for Jesus to turn around and say, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. New King James translation says, do not be anxious. You know what an anxious mind is or a worrying mind is? It's basically, it won't shut off. It won't shut off. For the pagans 
world runs after such things as your father knows that you, and your father knows you need them. You know, one of the things that marks you differently and me differently from the, uh, uh, from the non-Christian is what is our attitude about things? Are we just like the rest of the people in Panama? Are we just like the rest of the people on post back in the States? Are we just like them? Or is there something different about our attitude toward things? Verse 31, but seek his kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, with your focus not on things, but on eternal things, on souls, on the value of souls, what can I do to reach souls for Christ? What can I do to build up my own soul, my own spiritual life? What can I do to build up the body of Christ? With this goal of wanting to serve Jesus and to live for Jesus and want the will of God for your life more than anything else in the world, Jesus says, I'm your travel agent. Jesus says, I'm your storehouse manager. Jesus says, I'm the manager of your pension fund. Jesus says, I'm the manager of all those things. I'm the manager of your mission board. You do what I ask you to do, as I direct you to do. And he says, all these things, not some of them, not up to the point where you retire, not up to the time when you just go back to the States, but all these things will be added unto you. 